Awesome. Okay, so I'm Rachel O'Mara. Hi, I'm here talking to Roman, and how do we say your last name again? Krisnark. Krisnark. I didn't want to butcher it. Thank you. And uh, how you doing today, Roman? I am alive and well, thanks, Rachel. Thank you. And where are you calling in from? I'm in Oxford in the United Kingdom. I am at this very moment in my study at the top of the house while my seven-year-old twins uh, pretend to sleep sweetly. <laughs> wow. Well, I know you and I met a year ago when you came to Google and had your talk about empathy, which was the book at the time that had just come out. So why don't you catch me up a little bit about who you are, what your work is, and what this latest project is that you're doing. Um, yeah, well, I'm a social philosopher and cultural thinker, and I write about the intersection of the art of living and social change. So those issues which are about how we make new decisions in our lives, take our lives new directions, but also I'm interested in topics which are not only about that personal change, but also about social change. So we refer there to a, a book I talked about at Google on empathy, um, which is about you know, stepping into someone else's shoes. And I think that's at that meeting point of the art of living in social change. And since I saw you then, I've taken that book and turned it into a social project I've found at the world's first empathy museum. Um, which is an experiential traveling exhibition, which is now launched in the UK. It's been in Australia, it's going to Brazil, and it's kind of quirky and interesting. It's um, our first exhibit called A Mile in My Shoes is a giant shoebox um, on the south bank of the River Thames in London, and you could walk in, and it was the world's first empathy shoe shop, um, and someone would fit you with a pair of shoes belonging to a stranger. It could be a guy who's been in prison for 14 years or a sex worker or a sewage worker or an unhappy investment banker. And you could literally put on their shoes, listen to an audio narrative of them talking about their life and walk a mile in their moccasins or their sneakers. And it was taking that idea of walk a mile in someone else's shoes before you criticize them and turning it into reality. So that's partly what I've been uh, up to. That's Really cool. I love the concept. Is it coming to the U.S. anytime soon? Yeah, we're talking about bringing it to perhaps Chicago. I'd like to take it to San Francisco. Um, but our first stops before that are Brazil and um, Beirut. Awesome. Uh, so, you know, that's partly what I'm working on. And then the other thing I'm working on is I'm writing a new book, which is called Carpe Diem Reclaimed, which is about the art of stepping, about the art of um, seizing the day and trying to live a life without regret. What does it mean to try and, you know, be in the moment? How's that idea changed? And the, the, the project around that is that I've turned down a traditional publishing deal and decided to crowdfund the book instead. Um, and so that's quite an exciting thing. I'm in the middle of doing that right now. Yeah, I saw that. <clears throat> it's, a, it's, it's a pretty exciting project. And tell me about how does that relate to, um, like, the work that you're doing and, and, and why is it so important for people to seize the day and copy doom for you? Um, I think that that concept of carpe diem, seizing the day, goes back 2,000 years to the Roman poet Horace. He said, you know, seize the day before time runs out on you. And I think partly that ideal has been hijacked. It's been hijacked by consumer culture, which is telling us that, you know, the way to seize the day is through shopping. Uh, through going to those Black Friday sales and so on, rather than seizing the day in other parts of our lives. Um, and I think that the meaning of seize the day has been changing. So, you know, in back 20 years ago, if you ask someone, what does carpe diem mean to you? They would have thought of 
Robin Williams and Dead Poet Society is about seizing opportunities, taking your life in new directions. But a, a large number of people today, when you ask them, what does Seize the Day mean to you? What does Carpe Diem mean to you? They'll say it's about living in the moment. It's about being in the here and now. It's about mindfulness. In fact, it's about a certain kind of pausing. And this is a completely new historical development in the last 2,000 years. We've never really associated Carpe Diem with the pause, in a sense. Yeah, actually, so you bring up a, a memory I have. I actually visited, in, when I was 16, I went to uh, Rome and Vesuvius, and I actually remember I bought a postcard that was Carpe Diem from Pompeii and put it on my wall at my college dorm, and I, like, loved it and wanted to live it every day even then. But I agree with you. It's, it's actually what I would think is the opposite of pausing, where you have to go do something. So how do you see it relating to pausing? I, this is so interesting. To, to me, pausing is any intentional shift in behavior. So it could be any length of time, <clears throat> and anyone can pause. So for a car, from a carpe diem standpoint and being in the here and now, I think it ties in so well. But what are you learning from that? Like, how, how is that different, and, and why building in that intentional shifts in behavior? What is it about that that makes it so much more important for you? Well, I think, I think carpe diem is, you can look at the idea of the pause in a couple of different ways in the context of seizing the day. On the one hand, you know, carpe diem is about, and a long tradition of it is about taking opportunities, changing behaviors. So. It's about leaving your job and, you know, going on a sabbatical. You know, I, I wrote a book called How to Find Fulfilling Work about the idea of taking a radical sabbatical where you might go out and, you know, spend a year trying 30 different jobs for your 30th birthday. Um, and that's a certain kind of pause in the sense of it being a, a shift of existential culture. Um, I did it. I used to be an academic. I left all of that and became a gardener. Um, and I think that kind of pausing almost paradoxically, it's not about stopping, it's about thinking first, I mean, acting first and thinking afterwards. It's about taking action on some level rather than spending your time procrastinating and making plans. It's about going out and just doing it. But I think on the other hand, I think that the new Carpe Diem tradition, which associates seizing a day with being in the present moment, an idea of presence, is about a pause in terms of a stopping of time rather than a change of behavior. It's about that Titnut Khan quote, don't just do something, sit there. Um, it's about the new industry of mindfulness, um, about being in the here and now, which of course is an old idea going back to all sorts of Buddhist thinking, even in the Christian mystic tradition, but it's been secularized today with all sorts of courses um, about how to live in the present moment. I've been doing a lot of those courses recently for the research of my new book, and I find them slightly disturbing. Um, How so? Partly because I think there's an ethical problem. Um, I, I interviewed this very interesting French Buddhist monk called Mathieu Ricard, who's done a TED talk on happiness seen by about 10 million people. Uh, sort of the Dalai Lama's right-hand man. Yeah. I asked him in a public forum, I said, what do you think of mindfulness? And he said, you know, in front of a thousand people, he said, well, the problem is with mindfulness, the modern mindfulness movement, is that you can be a mindful sniper or a mindful psychopath. Um, in other words, you know, he said, you know, to be a, a good sniper, you need to be in the present moment, you need to be focused, you need to be detached. Um, and as he put it, as he said, you know, that's why lots of Wall Street bankers or U.S. Marines get 
like doing mindfulness courses. The problem is it doesn't tell you, tells you to be aware and to notice and to pause, but it doesn't tell you what to be aware of, what to be mindful of. And as he put it in the Buddhist tradition, the point is you be mindful not only of yourself, but of the suffering of other people. Right? So the problem with the pause in the secular mindfulness movement, as I see it, is that it's about my pause. It's all about me. And there's a question of, well, what about pausing for others? Hmm. Um, I think that links to empathy, because empathy is something that works best when you are able to stop running and notice the stuff around you. Um, it's, you know, lots of people fail to empathize because they're running to the next meeting and they don't <clears throat> stop for the person who needs help by the roadside, I mean, metaphorically and literally. So I think that, that the pause of time is very important there because it's about noticing internally who you are and externally what is going on in the world around you. Yeah, I, great point. I think it's about the emotional quotient of what you're looking at when you're in empathy as well. So, so what do you? How can that work for someone who's looking at being more empathetic and slowing down so that they can be in touch with that, so they can be more uh, in line with that, you know, for others and being in, in empathy with and, and connecting with others. What would you say? Like how like how did how can one do that more and just notice that? I think trying to relate it to that topic of, of, of pausing in general. I mean, I'm a great advocate of having curiosity about strangers um, and having conversations with strangers, talking to the people you don't normally talk to, which challenge our prejudices and assumptions about others, and getting beyond superficial talk. You know, talking not just about the weather, but about the stuff that matters in life, from from work to love to death to family. And I think that the, one of the things about conversation, what makes conversation work, in a sense, is, uh, is when you stop, when you stop to listen, when you pause, when you, you know, I used to do a lot of oral history interviews with people about their life stories. And the most remarkable thing happens when you ask someone a question and they take time to answer and you don't try and fill the gap with another question. Um, yeah. You allow the space, the pause. And in a way, the, the way that a pause works in conversation is the metaphor for taking a pause in life, in a way, um, for stepping back, for quietening what's going on, the rush of your own life, and trying to do something different, whether in my case it's becoming a gardener for a year, even though that was a disaster, right? <laughs> or some of the things that maybe you've done in your life when you took a, a sabbatical from your work at, at a Google and had a kind of a reassessment. Um, it's asking us to pause the conversation of our life for a moment and see ourselves differently. Yeah, I I love that. Um, I I um, I think that it's really important to to talk about listening for a little bit and literally how you can engage with someone in a conversation. I feel like those moments happen so often every day, and the pause is when in the awareness of noticing those, and then. And then really like being on the journey to, to go into that unknown, like taking a risk to speak and say something if the person's a total stranger, because it's those moments that I think in, that, that, that do spark the empathy or even just a connection between people. And it, it sounds so lighthearted and not 
necessary as a um, important part, but like those add up and those, I mean, it's all about connection, right? I think that whether it's with yourself and you're pausing in that, but also when you're pausing to listen and engaging with someone else, I think all of those are just great examples of working through um, connecting with others and, and like, like your example of um, really increasing that through connecting and, and having a conversation. That's a great way to do that. So, so knowing that, what would you say are your ways to, um, like what, like with Carpe, with your Carpe Diem project, the next book coming out, like what are three things that you would want listeners to know, um, like, like things that, that would be helpful from the work that you've done in regards to um, making the day count and having time to pause in there? Let me have a think about that because I haven't thought about that yet. Or one thing, just even like one thing would, would make sense. Spontaneous. Well, let me say something about spontaneity. Um, and I'm sort of slightly improvising here. At the moment, I'm writing the chapter of the book about spontaneity as being one of the keys to seizing the day historically. This is how we thought of, people have thought about about taking spontaneous action. And I don't know if it's really about pausing, but it is about stepping outside what you ordinarily do. It's about you're at dinner with your friends and someone sees a full moon and says, let's go and climb that tree in moon gaze and out you all go. Um, and so it's about a kind of a, a shift. And there's a question, well, how do we cultivate that kind of spontaneity? How do we, in a way, step out of the ordinary and, um, and, and pause and move away from our normal lives? And I've been studying acting recently and improvisation in acting. And there's something that improvisation teachers say. They say, everything is an offer. And what they mean by that is if two people are doing an improvised scene, if one person says something um, like, you know, um, doctor, doctor, I've got a sore leg, um, the idea of the accepting the offer in acting is that the other person will, will then maybe say, um, well, I have to amputate. And then the first person doesn't say, oh, no, you can't. They try and go on with the scene and say, yes, yeah, and you have to amputate my arm as well. Um, in other words, scenes work best spontaneously when people say yes to things. Um, and I think that's a, there's a larger life lesson there about if you do want to seize the day, you have to in a way, say yes. Mm. And I think in our own lives, that's about noticing too. It's about noticing stress, noticing the signals, um, for example, in your career and think, okay, why am I doing this? This is an offer uh, in, in an acting sense to make a shift. Mm. You know, we're aware of those offers around us. Some of them are very negative. I mean, famously, um, the director of the film, El Mariachi, didn't have um, a lighting equipment. But he turned that to his advantage. He made a very dark, moody film, right? And I think, you know, partly we're trying to work with the negative things that happen in our lives and, and turn them around. And that's not saying always be positive in some sort of cultish, positive thinking way. But it's about having this ability to notice yourself um, and then try and work with it. Because if we can't do that, if we can't do that kind of self-reflection, then we're stuck. Wow. I like that. I, like what I'm hearing is um, awareness means being spontaneous. I think because like I'm actually studying this right now as a as a coach, where if I choose to not be spontaneous, it's usually something I'm fearing. Like I'm afraid to go into the moment and do something, no matter what it is. And uh, and spontaneous means I'm okay with that fear and I'm going anyway. And it may or may not be fear. It depends on I think what the situation would be. But that is a really cool 
takeaway, I would say, um, which sounds really, really good to learn more about in your book. So thanks. That's cool. Uh, so how can people find out more info about the Carpe Diem project and, and uh, find out more about you? Yeah, so if you want to find out about my book, Carpe Diem Reclaimed, you can either go to um, the website of the crowdfunding publisher, which is www.unbound.co.uk, or just Google Carpe Diem Reclaimed, and you will find it. Great. And, uh, and, and, and what is your timeline for your book? Well, it, I'm currently trying to finish it, um, and it will be finished in a couple of months, but once it goes through the editorial process, it will be published towards the end of the year. Um, and the crowdfunding campaign is nearly finished. It's about 80-something percent. Um, you know, it's really very interesting doing this because it's about readers taking charge of the ideas. If the reader likes it, then it gets, it gets published. Yeah. Um, and I think this is how Dickens and Voltaire published their books in the 18th century. They got subscribers. But of course, it's now much easier to reach people. So, yeah, it's an experiment I'm doing. Well, I like the experiment part of it, and I hope we can help others find out about your work and and also contribute to the crowdsource campaign at www.isitunbound.com. Co.uk. Okay, unbound.co.uk. And uh, so since I think I consider you an expert on empathy and, and with your work, so what's one thing that you would want to teach me and the listeners about empathy that we may not necessarily know? I think just in your relationships, if you're arguing with your partner, your husband, wife, whatever, try and do two things. One is listen out for their feelings. And secondly, listen out for their needs. Give them a chance to express their feelings and needs, and the tension will be reduced. Mm. And when you see that empathizing working, trying to understand their perspective and give them a chance to express it, um, you realize the power of empathy and you start applying it in everyday life. Um, and so I think that's one thing anybody can do. We can start, it, we can start our empathy practice right now and pause to take it in and, and know that, yeah, when you can do that, things probably will shift a little bit. Cool. All right, well, thank you so much, Roman. This was a pleasure to talk to you today and learn more about everything you're, that's going on. And I appreciate you sharing what and how it relates to pausing. And uh, I'm excited to, to see where it goes. So thanks so much. Yeah, well, let's all energetically pause our lives. Let's um, pause our lives. Yes, that sounds good. Good luck with the book and keep me in touch about it as well. I will. I definitely will. And actually, I'm, um, I'm teaching today this five-day EQ challenge to a group at Google, and I'm using the article that I wrote that you're referenced in. I think oh, yeah. I, I linked to you in the Empathy Museum. So that's just a serendipity thing that happened today, too, and I'm doing that at, um, I'm doing that at three in an hour. So... I think that's pretty cool. You're resurrected again. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. cool. Well, I'd like to come back and visit you again. It was fun coming to see you last time, so um, we'll, we'll keep that. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me know if you're in town. I will do. All right. All right. Thanks, Roman. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. So that was Roman, and glad that he could make it for our very first podcast slash interview and for more information you can check him out at www.unbound.co.uk again that's for his project the carpe diem project which is his self crowdfunded book and 
learn more about empathy. He's got some great insights and, uh, and readings on that. And for now, so long.